0: The Home and the World by Rabindranath Tagore Translated by Surendranath Tagore This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org Recording by Raju from Burleson, Texas Ramina45 at hotmail.com. Chapter 3 Bimala Story 6. I wonder what could have happened to my feeling of shame. The fact is i had no time to think about myself my days and nights were passing in a while like an eddy with myself in the center no gap was left for hesitation or delicacy to enter one day my sister in law remarked to my husband up to now the women of this house have been kept weeping here comes the men's turn we must see that they do not miss it she continued turning to me i see you are out for the fray Rani. hurl your shafts straight at their hearts Her keen eyes looked me up and down. Not one of the colours into which my toilet, my dress, my manners, my speech had blossomed out had escaped her. I am ashamed to speak of it today, but I felt no shame then. Something within me was at work of which I was not even conscious. I used to overdress, it's true, but more like an automation with no particular design no doubt i knew which effort of mine would prove specially pleasing to sandeep babu but that required no intuition for he would discuss it openly before all of them one day he said to my husband do you know Nikhil? when i first saw our queen bee she was sitting there so demurely in her gold-bordered sari her eyes were gazing inquiringly into space like stars which had lost their way just as if she had been for ages standing on the edge of some darkness looking out for something unknown. But when I saw her, I felt a queer run through me. It seemed to me that the gold border of her sari was her own inner fire flaming out and twining round her. That's the flame we want, visible fire. Look here, Queen Bee, you really must do us the favour of dressing once more as a living flame. So long, I had been like a small river at the border of a village. My rhythm and my language were different from what they are now. But the tide came up from the sea, and my breast heaved, my banks gave way, and the great drum beats of the sea waves echoed in my mad currents. I could not understand the meaning of that sound in my blood. Where was that former self of mine? Whence came foaming into me this surging flood of glory? Sandeep's hungry eyes burnt like the lamps of worship before my shrine. All his gaze proclaimed that I was a wonder in beauty and power and the loudness of His praise, spoken and unspoken, drowned all other voices in my world. Had the Creator created me afresh? I wondered, did He wish to make up now for neglecting me so long? I who before was plain had become suddenly beautiful. I who before had been of no account now felt in myself all the splendour of Bengal itself. For Sandip Babu was not a mere individual. In him was the confluence of millions of minds of the country. When he called me the Queen of Bee of the Hive, I was acclaimed with a chorus of praise by all our Patriot workers. After that, the loud jests of my sister-in-law could not touch me any longer. My relations with all the world underwent a change. Sandeep Babu made it clear how all the country was in need of me. I had no difficulty in believing this at the time, for I felt that I had the power to do everything. Divine strength had come to me. It was something which I had never felt before, which was beyond myself. I had no time to question it, to find out what was its nature. It seemed to belong to me and yet to transcend me. It comprehended the whole of Bengal. Sandip Babu would consult me about every little thing touching the cause. At first, I felt very awkward and would hang back, but that soon wore off. Whatever I suggested seemed to astonish him. He would go into raptures and say, Men can only think. You women have a way of understanding without thinking. Women was created out of God's own fancy. Man, he had to hammer into shape. Letters used to come to Sandeep Babu from all parts of the country, which were submitted to me for my opinion. Occasionally, he disagreed with me, but I would not argue with him. Then, after a day or two, as if a new light had suddenly dawned upon him, he would send for me and say, It was my mistake. Your suggestion was the correct one. He would often confess to me that wherever he had taken steps, contrary to my advice, he had gone wrong. Thus, I gradually came to be convinced that behind whatever was taking place was Sandeep Babu, and behind Sandeep Babu was the plain common sense of a woman. The glory of a great responsibility filled my being. My husband had no place in our councils. Sandeep Babu treated him as a younger brother of whom personally one may be very fond and yet have no use for his business advice. He would tenderly and smilingly talk about my husband's childlike innocence, saying that his curious doctrine and perversities of mind had a flavour of humour which made them all the more lovable. It was seemingly this very affection for Nikhil which led Sandeep Babu to forbear from troubling him with the burden of the country. Nature has many anodynes in her pharmacy which she secretly administers when vital relations are being insidiously severed so that none may know of the operation till at last one awakes to know what a great rent has been made. When the knife was busy with my life's most intimate tie, my mind was so clouded with fumes of intoxicating gas that I was not in the least aware of what a cruel thing was happening. Possibly this is woman's nature. When her passion is aroused, she loses her sensibility for all that is outside it. When, like the river, we women keep to our banks, we give nourishment with all that we have. When we overflow them, we destroy with all that we are. Sandeep Story 2 I can see that something has gone wrong. I got an inkling of it the other day. Ever since my arrival, Nikhil's sitting room had become a thing amphibious. Half woman's apartment, half man's bimala had access to it from the janana it was not bought to me from the outer side if we had only gone slow and made use of our privileges with some restraint we might not have fallen foul of other people but we went ahead so vehemently that we could not think of the consequences whenever b comes into nikil's room i somehow got to know of it from mine there are the tinkle of bangles and other little sounds the door is perhaps shut with a shade of unnecessary vehemence The bookcase is a trifle stiff and creaks if jerked open. When I enter, I find B with her back to the door, ever so busy selecting a book from the shelves. And as I offer to assist her in this difficult task, she starts and protests. And then we naturally get on to other topics. The other day, on an inauspicious Thursday afternoon, I sallied forth from my room at the call of these same sounds. There was a man on guard in the passage. I walked on without so much as glancing at him. But as I approached the door, he put himself in my way, saying, Not that way, sir. Not that way? Why? The Rani mother is there. Oh, very well. Tell your Rani mother that Sandeep Babu wants to see her. That cannot be, sir. It's against orders. I felt highly indignant. I order you, I said in a raised voice. Go and announce me. The fellow was somewhat taken aback at my attitude. In the meantime, I had neared the door. I was on the point of reaching it when he followed after me and took me by the arm saying, No, sir, you must not. What, to be touched by a flunky? I snatched away my arm and gave the man a sounding blow. At this moment, B came out of the room to find the man about to insult me. I shall never forget the picture of her wrath. That bee is beautiful is a discovery of my own. Most of our people would see nothing in her. Her tall, slim figure, these boors would call lanky. But it is just this lithsomeness of hers that I admire, like an upleaping fountain of life, coming direct out of the depths of the Creator's heart. Her complexion is dark, but it is the lustrous darkness of a sword blade, keen and scintillating. Nanku, she commanded as she stood in the doorway pointing with her finger leave us do not be angry with him said i if it is against orders it is i who should retire b's voice was still trembling as she replied you must not go come in it was not a request but again a command i followed her in and taking a chair fanned myself with a fan which was on the table b scribbled something with a pencil on a sheet of paper and summoning a servant handed it to him saying Take this to the Maharaja. Forgive me, I resumed. I was unable to control myself and hit that man of yours. You served him right, said B. But it was not the poor fellow's fault. After all, he was only obeying his orders. Here Nikhil came in and as he did so, I left my seat with a rapid movement and went and stood near the window with my back to the room. Nanku, the guard, has insulted Sandip Babu, said B to Nikhil. Nikil seemed to be so genuinely surprised that I had to turn round and stare at him. Even an outrageously good man fails in keeping up his pride of truthfulness before his wife, if she be the proper kind of woman. He insolently stood in the way when Sandi Babu was coming in here, continued B. He said he had orders. ''Whose orders?'' asked Nikil. ''How am I to know?'' exclaimed B impatiently, her eyes brimming over with mortification. Nikil sent for the man and questioned him. It was not my fault, Nanku repeated sullenly. I had my orders. Who gave you the order? The Bararani mother. We were all silent for a while after the man had left. B said, Nanku must go. Nikil remained silent. I could see that his sense of justice would not allow this. There was no end to his qualms. But this time he was up against a tough problem. B was not the woman to take things lying down. She would have to get even with her sister-in-law by punishing this fellow. And as Nikhil remained silent, her eyes flashed fire. She knew not how to pour her scorn upon her husband's feebleness of spirit. Nikhil left the room after a while without another word. The next day, Nanku was not to be seen. On inquiry, I learned that he had been sent off to some other part of the estates and that his wages had not suffered by such transfer. I could catch glimpses of the ravages of the storm raging over this behind the scenes. All I can say is that Nikhil is a curious creature quite out of the common. The upshot was that after this bee began to send for me to the sitting room for a chat without any contrivance or pretence of its being an accident. Thus from bare suggestion we came to broad hint. The implied came to be expressed. A daughter-in-law of a princely house lives in a starry region so remote from the ordinary outsider that there is not even a regular road for his approach what a triumphal progress of truth was this which gradually but persistently thrust aside veil after veil of obscuring custom till at length nature herself was laid bare truth of course it was the truth the attraction of man and woman for each other is fundamental the whole world of matter From the speck of dust upwards is ranged on its side and yet men would keep it hidden away out of sight behind a tissue of words and with homemade sanctions and prohibitions make of it a domestic utensil why is as absurd as melting down the solar system to make a watch chain for one's son-in-law when in spite of all reality awakes at the call of what is but naked truth what a gnashing of teeth and beating of breasts is there But can one carry on a quarrel with a storm? It never takes the trouble to reply. It only gives the shaking. I am enjoying the sight of this truth as it gradually reveals itself. These tremblings of steps, these turnings of the face, are sweet to me. And sweet are the deceptions which deceive not only others but also be herself. When reality has to meet the unreal, deception is its principal weapon for its enemies always try to shame reality by calling it gross, and so it needs must hide itself or else put on some disguise. The circumstances are such that it dare not frankly avow. Yes, I am gross, because I am true, I am flesh, I am passion, I am hunger, unashamed and cruel. All is now clear to me, the curtain flaps, and through it I can see the preparations for the catastrophe the little red ribbon which peeps through the luxuriant masses of her hair with its flush of secret longing it is the lolling tongue of the red storm cloud i feel the warmth of each turn of her sari each suggestion of her raiment of which even the wearer may not be fully conscious B was not conscious because she was ashamed of the reality to which men have given a bad name calling it satan and so it has to steal into the garden of paradise in the gaze of a snake and whisper secrets into the ears of man's chosen consort, and make her rebellious, then farewell to all ease, and after that comes death. My poor little queen bee is living in a dream. She knows not which way she is treading. It would not be safe to awaken her before the time. It's best for me to pretend to be equally unconscious. The other day, at dinner, she was gazing at me in a curious sort of way, little realizing what such glances mean. As my eyes met hers, she turned away with a flush. You are surprised at my appetite, I remarked. I can hide everything except that I am greedy. Anyhow, why trouble to blush for me since I am shameless? This only made her color more furiously as she stammered. No, 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 I was only. I know, I interrupted. Women have a weakness for greedy men. For it is this greed of ours which gives them the upper hand, the indulgence." which I have always received at their hands, has made me all the more shameless. I do not mind your watching the good things disappear not one bit. I mean to enjoy every one of them. The other day, I was reading an English book in which sex problems were treated in an adosiously realistic manner. I had left it lying in the sitting room. As I went there the next afternoon, for something or other, I found B seated with this book in her hand. When she heard my footsteps, she hurriedly put it down and placed another book over it, a volume of Mrs. Heyman's poems. I have never been able to make out, I began, why women are so shy about being caught reading poetry. We men, lawyers, mechanics, or what not, may well feel ashamed. If we must read poetry, it should be at dead of night, within closed doors. But you women are so akin to pussy. The creator himself is a lyric poet and Jayadeva must have practiced the divine art seated at his feet. B made no reply, but only blushed uncomfortably. She made as if she would leave the room, whereupon I protested, no, no, pray read on. I will just take a book I left here and run away, with which I took up my book from the table. Lucky you did not think of glancing over its pages, I continued, or you would have wanted to chastise me. Indeed why? asked B. Because it is not poetry, said I. Only blunt things. Bluntly put, without any finicking niceness. I wish Nikhil would read it. B frowned a little, as she murmured. What makes you wish that? He is a man, you see, one of us. My only quarrel with him is that he delights in a misty vision of this world. Have you not observed how this trait of his makes him look on Sodeshi? As if it was some poem of which the meter must be kept correct at every step. We with the clubs of our prose are the iconoclast of meter. What has your book to do with Swadeshi? You would know if you only read it. Nikhil wants to go by made up maxims in Swadeshi as in everything else. So he knocks up against human nature at every turn and then falls to abusing it. He never will realize that human nature was created long before phrases were and will survive them too. B was silent for a while and then gravely said. Is it not a part of human nature to try and rise superior to itself? I smiled inwardly. These are not your words, I thought to myself. You have learned them from Nikhil. You are a healthy human being. Your flesh and blood have responded to the call of reality. You are burning in every vein with life fire. Do I not know it? How long should they keep you cool with the wet towel of moral precepts? The weak are in the majority, I said aloud. They are continuously poisoning the ears of men by repeating these shibboleths. Nature has denied them strength. It is thus that they try to enfeeble others. We women are weak, replied Bimla. So I suppose we must join in the conspiracy of the weak. Women weak, I exclaimed with a laugh. Men below you as delicate and fragile, so as to delude you into thinking yourselves weak. But it is you women who are strong. Men make a great outward show of their so-called freedom, but those who know their inner minds are aware of their bondage. They have manufactured scriptures with their own hands to bind themselves. With their very idealism, they have made golden fetters of women to wind round their body and mind. If men had not that extraordinary faculty of entangling themselves in measures of their own contriving, nothing could have kept them bound. But as for you women... You have desired to conceive reality with body and soul. You have given birth to reality. You have suckled reality at your breasts. B was well-read for a woman and would not easily give in to my arguments. If that were true, she objected, men would not have found women attractive. Women realize the danger, I replied. They know that men love delusions, so they give them full measure by borrowing their own phrases. They know that man, the drunkard, values intoxication more than food, and so they try to pass themselves off as an intoxicant. As a matter of fact, but for the sake of man, woman has no need for any make-believe. Why then are you troubling to destroy the illusion? For freedom. I want the country to be free. I want human relations to be free. 3. I was aware that it is unsafe suddenly to awake a sleepwalker. But I am so impetuous by nature, a halting gait does not suit me. I knew I was overboard that day. I knew that the first shock of such ideas is apt to be almost intolerable. But with women, it's always audacity that wins. Just as we were getting on nicely, who should walk in but Nikhil's old tutor Chandranath Babu? The world would have been not half a bad place to live in, but for these schoolmasters, who make one want to quit in disgust. The nickel type wants to keep the world always a school. This incarnation of a school turned up that afternoon at the psychological moment. We all remind schoolboys in some corner of our hearts and I, even I, felt somewhat pulled up. As for poor B, she at once took her place solemnly like the topmost girl of the class on the front bench. All of a sudden, she seemed to remember that she had to face her examination. Some people are so like the eternal pointsman, lying in wait by the line, to shunt one strain of thought from one rail to another. Chandranath Babu had no sooner come in than he cast about for some excuse to retire mumbling. I beg your pardon, I. Before he could finish, B went up to him and made a profound obeisance, saying, Pray do not leave us sir, will you not take a seat? She looked like drowning person clutching at him for support. The little covered. But possibly I was mistaken. It's quite likely that there was a touch of womanly wile in it. She wanted perhaps to raise her value in my eyes. She might have been pointedly saying to me, Please don't imagine for a moment that I am entirely overcome by you. My respect for Chandranath Babu is even greater. Well, indulge in your respect by all means. Schoolmasters, thrive on it. But not being one of them, I have no use for that empty compliment. Chandranath Babu began to talk about Swadeshi. I thought I would let him go on with his monologues. There is nothing like letting an old man talk himself out. It makes him feel that he is winding up the world, forgetting all the while how far away the real world is from his wagging tongue. But even my worst enemy would not accuse me of patience. And when Chandranath Babu went on to say, If we expect to gather fruit where we have sown no seed, then we... I had to interrupt him. Who wants fruit? I cried. We go by the author of the Gita, who says that we are concerned only with doing, not with the fruit of our deeds. What is it then that you do want? asked Chandranath Babu. Thorns, I exclaimed, which cost nothing to plant. Thorns do not obstruct others only, he replied. They have a way of hurting one's own feet. That's all right for a copy book, I retorted. But the real thing is that we have this burning at heart. Now we have only to cultivate thorns for other souls. Afterwards, when they hurt us, we shall find leisure to repent. But why be frightened even of that? When at last we have to die, it will be time enough to get cold. While we are on fire, let us seethe and boil. Chandranath Babu smiled. Seethe by all means, he said. But do not mistake it for work or heroism. Nations which have got on in the world have done so by action, not by abolition. Those who have always lain in dread of work, when with a start they awake to their sorry plight, they look to shortcuts and scamping for their deliverance. I was girding up my loins to deliver a crushing reply when Nikhil came back. Sandarnath Babu rose and looking towards B said, Let me go now, my little mother. I have some work to attend to. As he left, I showed Nikhil the book in my hand. I was telling Queen Bee about this book. I said, 99% of people have to be deluded with lies. But it is easier to delude this perpetual people of the schoolmaster with the truth. He is best cheated openly. So in playing with him, the simplest course was to lay my cards on the table. Nikhil read the title on the cover but said nothing. These writers, I continued, are busy with their brooms, sweeping away the dust of epithets with which men have covered up this world of ours. So, as I was saying, I wish you would read it. I have read it, said Nikhil. Well, what do you say? It's all very well for those who really care to think, but poison for those who shirk thought. What do you mean? Those who preach equal rights of property should not be thieves, for if they are, They would be preaching lies. When passion is in the ascendant, this kind of book is not rightly understood. Passion, I replied, is the street lamp which gives us. To call it untrue is as hopeless as to expect to see, better by plucking out our natural eyes. Nikhil was visibly growing excited. I accept the truth of passion, he said, only when I recognize the truth of restraint by pressing what we want to see right into our eyes we only injure them we do not see so does the violence of passion which would leave no space between the mind and its object defeat its purpose it is simply your intellectual foppery i replied which makes you indulge in moral delicacy ignoring the savage side of truth this merely helps you to mystify things and so you fail to do your work with any degree of strength the intrusion of strength said nikil impatiently where strength is out of place does not help you in your work but why are we arguing about these things vain arguments only brush off the fresh bloom of truth i wanted b to join in the discussion but she had not said a word up to now could i have given her too rude a shock leaving her assailed with doubts and wanting to learn her lesson afresh from the schoolmaster still a thorough shaking-up is essential one must begin by realizing that things supposed to be unshakable can be shaken. I am glad I had this talk with you, I said to Nikhil, for I was on the point of lending this book to Queen B to read. What harm, said Nikhil. If I could read the book, why not Bimla too? All I want to say is that in Europe, people look at everything from the viewpoint of science, but man is neither mere physiology, nor biology, nor psychology, nor even sociology. For God's sake, don't forget that. Man is infinitely more than the natural science of himself. You laugh at me, calling me the schoolmaster's people, but that is what you are, not I. You want to find the truth of man from your science teachers and not from your own inner being. But why all this excitement? I mock. Because I see you are bent on insulting man and making him petty. Where on earth do you see all that? In the air, in my outraged feelings you would go on wounding the great, the unselfish, the beautiful in man. What mad idea is this of yours? Nikhil suddenly stood up. I tell you plainly Sandeep, he said, man may be wounded unto death, but he will not die. This is the reason why I am ready to suffer all, knowing all with eyes open. With these words, he hurriedly left the room. I was staring blankly at his retreating figure when the sound of a book falling from the table made me turn to find B, following him with quick nervous steps, making a detour to avoid passing too near me. A curious creature, that Nikhil. He feels the danger threatening his home. And yet, why does he not turn me out? I know he is waiting for Bimal to give him the cue. If Bimal tells him that their mating has been a misfit, he will bow his head and admit that it may have been a blunder. He has not the strength of mind to understand that to acknowledge a mistake is the greatest of all mistakes. He is a typical example of how ideas make for weakness. I have not seen another like him, so whimsical, a product of nature. He would hardly do as a character in a novel or drama to say nothing of real life. And B, I am afraid her dream life is over from today. She has at length understood the nature of the current which is bearing her along now she must either advance or retreat open-eyed. The chances are she will now advance a step and then retreat a step. But that does not disturb me. When one is on fire, this rushing to and fro makes the blaze all the fiercer. The fright she has got will only fan her passion. Perhaps I had better not say much to her, but simply select some modern books for her to read. Let her gradually come to the conviction that to acknowledge and respect passion as the supreme reality is to be modern, not to be ashamed of it, not to glorify restraint. If she finds shelter in some such word as modern, she will find strength. Be that as it may, I must see this out to the end of the fifth act. I cannot unfortunately boast of being merely a spectator seated in the royal box, applauding now and again. There's a wrench at my heart, a pang in every nerve. When I have put out the light and am in my bed, little touches, little glances, little words flit about and fill the darkness. When I get up in the morning, I thrill with lively anticipations. My blood seems to course through me to the strains of music. There was a double photo frame on the table with B's photograph by the side of Nichols. I had taken out hers. Yesterday, I showed B the empty side and said, "'Theft becomes necessary only because of miserliness. "'So its sin must be divided between the miser and the thief. "'Do you not think so?' "'It was not a good one,' observed B simply with a little smile. "'What is to be done?' said I. A portrait cannot be better than a portrait. "'I must be content with it, such as it is.' B took up a book and began to turn over the pages. "'If you are annoyed,' I went on. "'I must make a shift to fill up the vacancy.' Today I have filled it up. This photograph of mine was taken in my early youth. My face was then fresher, and so was my mind. Then I still cherished some illusions about this world and the next. Faith deceives men, but it has one great merit. It imparts a radiance to the features. My portrait now reposes next to Nichols, for are not the two of us old friends? End of chapter 3 of Home and the World by Rabindranath Tagore translated by Surendranath Tagore Recording by Raju from Burleson, Texas Ramina45 at Hotmail.com